Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from members of the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai franchise over the past few weeks. Today's episode is number four and ties up what for me has just been an amazing experience. It's been really great to chat with people involved with the franchise and learning about how the films and the show have impacted their journey. Today's guest is William Christopher Ford, who played Dennis in the third installment of The Karate Kid. William was just a great person to chat with and a true student of martial arts, and I'm really excited to be able to share his story with you today. Good afternoon, William Christopher Ford. How are you this, e- well, this afternoon, where you are this <laughs> evening, where I am? Well, I'm in Los Angeles. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, thank you so much for having me with you. And uh, hello, everyone out there, um, all your viewers and your your supporters. What a wonderful a privilege and honor it is for me to be here with you um, guys. No, it's certainly the privilege is all mine. It's, it's great to have you on Hobby of a Lifestyle. And as the, the title suggests, we are looking at how a hobby has impacted career choices, life decisions. So, William, do you just want to tell listeners, viewers, what is your hobby? What is your profession? What is it that William Christopher Ford is really passionate about? My hobby slash profession slash passion is martial arts. Um, nice. I am a karate black belt. Um, uh, my base style is a style from Okinawa, Japan called Shorin Ru Karate. And uh, I also cross train. I'm interested in all martial arts, but I also do Muay Thai. I'm not a black belt in that. I'm mm, beginner. Uh, I'm very interested in jujitsu and grappling, wrestling, boxing, you know, um, just and then there's also, you know, practical self-defense, combative, tactical types of things as well. But um, that's what I do. That is, oh, yeah, that's amazing. Just an all-rounder and a, and a, a true learner of, of martial arts. Yes, sir. Always a beginner, as you, as, yeah. as you are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> very much, very much. So, William, when you're a child, I'm assuming that is when martial arts was entered your life. How old were you when? You know, when you started Okinawa martial arts or, well, you or know, Ray martial arts? You know what, sir? I um, I don't know if you guys are familiar. There was a show here in the States called Kung Fu. And it was uh, it started a gentleman named David Carradine. And it was in the 1970s. So um, might have been a little before your time. I was born in the 60s. But, I, you know, I was a kid in the 70s. And yeah. it was a show about a Shaolin monk who um, he was half Chinese, half Caucasian. He ends up killing, I think, the, the prince, and he goes and becomes a fugitive, and he ends up in the Old West. So this series took place as him wandering the West, and uh, his name was Kwai Chen Kane, and he was a, a master of Kung Fu. Now, originally, I believe that this role was supposed to be Bruce Lee, but um, according to what I believe is that at that time, um, the producers didn't think that Western audiences were ready for a full Chinese person, a Chinese person okay. or an Asian person to play 
an Asian person. So David Carradine is a wonderful actor, and I think he did a wonderful job with the portrayal of that, all things considered. But um, I watched this show as a kid, and that was the first time I'd really seen martial arts, and I thought he was like a superhuman. And, you know, that's part of the appeal of martial arts, right? It's like, we want to be able to do that and get back at the bully, and we want to be able to do that and, and, and like, beat up all the bad guys. So uh, that was my first, first um, impression. The second impression was there used to be a theme park near um, in, in near Los Angeles called Japanese Village and Deer Park. And this was a um, they kind of recreated the uh, J- Japan of old times and they had um, Japanese dance. They had um, like a magic show, I believe they had oyster divers. And then one of the things they also had was this live karate demonstration. And um, my, my father took me to see this. And the performer was none other than Fumio Demura, who was Mr. Miyagi's stunt double in the Karate Kid movies. Um, Wow. Legendary karate man. And I saw him perform live. And this is before I even started martial arts training. And I was just blown away because it was like, wow, and this guy's really doing it on the stage. And and it was just amazing. So... um, that those were the first seeds that were planted and then i remember i was in the third grade um i don't know if you guys call that grade three but um my my um my friend who i remember his name his name was joe he said hey i started taking karate down the street and you got to join. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like fun. Because in my mind, I was thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, like I can be like, like these two people that I've seen. Yeah, I want to be a superhero too. So um, my buddy Joe tells my mom and says, hey, Mrs. Ford, I, um, I already signed him up for karate lessons. And my mom is like, what do you mean you signed him up? And she said, well, they're waiting for him. So my mom, my mom is from Japan. And she just figured, you know, I was an awkward, shy uncoordinated child and she felt that you know this would be good for him good for me so she took me down to the karate dojo and there was a man named glenn rabago there he was the sensei and um he was a guy from hawaii you know and he was really kind of you know casual and kicked back you know and he's like so you like learn karate and i'm like so i was thinking i had to talk to him like i heard David Carradine speaking the Kung Fu show. And so, you know, David Carradine was like, yes, I am a Shaolin priest. So <laughs> I, I say to him, yes, master, I would like to learn karate. And um, he's kind of looking at me strange. My mom's looking at me like, what is wrong with my child? And then uh, he says, so you, you like start? And I said, yes, master, but first I must use your restroom. <laughs> and it's just like, this is getting really strange. And then I just went, why am I talking like this? You know? So, you know, I get the uniform on and I put on my gi and I remember distinctly, I didn't know that I was supposed to tie them. And as soon as I did a jumping jack, my whole gi was flying open. And, you know, <laughs> I, just, you know yes. I remember them old school gis as well. I mean, cause obviously from a sport karate now it's, we, we will wear kick pants and they're a lot looser and we'll often wear a t-shirt or a, or a V-neck gi top rather right. than the traditional ones. And I, I remember training in those gays when I was a kid and how heavy the over as well. <laughs> so I go home that day, the first day I'm a white belt and the neighbors next door, there was this uh, family that sometimes, you know, watched over me when my mom was working and they saw me in my uniform and they're looking at me going, Hey, he knows karate. And so 
I'm thinking, that's my cue. So I go inside my house and I open up the curtains and they all come and they're looking at the window, right? And so I sit there and I start doing all my moves. I don't know anything, but I'm doing these moves. And they think I'm like, you know, wow, this guy is a martial arts expert. And I'm just going, oh, this is awesome. This is great. <laughs> so my first day is, is a pretty good experience. Now, here's the thing. When I started going back to the class, um, I very quickly found out that my instructor was uh, not such a good instructor because oftentimes he would just not show up and not tell us. But then there were times when, he would have, you know, hey, come here. I want to spar with you. Now, I didn't know anything. And, you know, I remember taking this, what felt like me to a child, like a full power kick to the stomach. And I remember getting knocked down and I started crying. And then my buddy Joe got really upset with the instructor. And he started, like, going after him, trying to trying to hit him and, and protect me. Um, so this was not just an isolated incident of, you know, trying to, you know, toughen us up. It was kind of this, you know, he, if he was in a bad mood, he took it out on us. And eventually that made me want to just not do it anymore. I was just like, you know what, why am I, why am I doing this? Right. But fortunately he eventually left because he just had too many demons to deal with. And his brother, Richard Rabago, who was also a black belt, basically took over the school and it was under him that I really started to grow. And uh, he was, he was. He, he worked us, but he was always, it was never personal. He never, you know, it, it, yeah, he would push us, but it was never anything abusive. And we just loved him. And, and, and what was the transition like there, though, going from, from the, you know, his brother? Because it could have been very easy for a lot of people to go, well, kind of guilty by association. You know, that was your brother who took over. We don't want the brother to take over. Was that, was the transition okay for that? The transition was okay because Sensei Richard was actually there on Saturday. So we knew him. He ran okay. the Saturday class. Right, and so okay. then it was just a matter of, oh, he's taking over all week. And right. then, you know, all of us were just like, oh, phew, you know. <laughs> and, you know, what I loved about Sensei Richard was, you know, he worked a regular job. And he did the, jo- the dojo was his hobby. He wasn't really making money from that. Yeah. He just loved to teach. And he was the type of guy where... I would witness this time and time again, where, um, you know, you, you know, sometimes families would not be able to afford it anymore. And he'd be like, just come. And, you know, it's like, you know, clean the floor, take the trash out, you know, but if you really want it and you really want to work, then I'm not going to turn you away. And so that's how he was. Yeah. And- I, I think, I certainly think that I found over here in the UK that some of the better schools and the, and the, the better academies are those people who have full-time jobs and then this is almost another full-time job after the main the main profession. But because it's a hobby and they want to give back, they tend to be the better instructors or the better teachers because it's not a job. And sometimes I've found that those who have full-time schools become disillusioned and fall out of love with the sport because all of a sudden it's not about having fun. It's not about a hobby. It's not about passing the knowledge. It's actually, I've got to make money to pay the bills and, and yeah. it becomes a bit of a burden on them it, it, it does and you know it becomes a it can become a difficult line to walk you know mm-hmm. I, I i think you know i eventually you know i, I became an instructor and I, I can tell you about that as we talk later yes yeah, but i do know that you know as a school owner now um you know especially now you know during this time teaching via zoom and whatnot yeah of course 
you gotta just let a lot of stuff go you know it's like i'm teaching and i see dogs and cats in the background and <laughs> kids going off the screen and you just gotta go you know it is what it is you know it's no yeah, big, you know because yeah, you're so limited with space as well aren't you i know i was teaching during lockdown over here and the kids would be doing kicks or they'd fall on the sofa or they'd you know they'd run next to the television <laughs> so, so be careful <laughs> You know, and what what can you do? You can't like you know reach in there. You yeah, know? of course. So you just have to go. You know what? It's okay. They're so they're showing up for class. You know what? We're gonna make it the best experience we can. Of course. And you know, over here in the states, they're on they're they're in their classrooms all day long with Zoom. The last thing they want to do is show up for their karate class and have to deal with an ogre. You know, who's going to be a, a tyrant? So it's just like you know, yeah. you, you just let a lot of things go. Now you know, in Soon. person, you can be you can be you know you can run a tighter ship. Yeah, of um, course. But you know, it's just part of the learning process, you know. And, oh yeah, definitely. You know, it, it's allowed us to stay open. It's allowed us to, to to keep our doors open. So, you know, I'm very grateful for the technology. And now I'm realizing that oh, you know, you can pre-record things too. And you know, people have lost their um, aversion to doing distance learning. Everybody realizes that well, we have to do it. Yeah. And everybody's gotten pretty good at it. So now it's become kind of like a you know the new normal. You know, oh, yeah, one million percent, definitely. <laughs> I know that. That's yeah. Even I work at a local college as well, and we we've done so much distance learning, and mm. learners now just kind of accept that that's that's the new one for now until there's a solution to the to the problem. I'll so, tell you what, sir. You know, when I was first doing Zoom, I, I avoided it for the first couple of weeks. You know, and I'm, I'm used yeah. to being in front of the camera. I'm comfortable, but it was like, you know, this is live and interactive, and I don't know what buttons to push. You know, so. <laughs> I finally did it. You know, it's like, look, I got to get off the couch. Uh, I've done enough Netflix. I've been eating a lot of pizza and tacos and everything else. That's, that's, you know, tastes wonderful, but yeah. it's definitely changing my shape. Yeah. So let me get back into teaching classes, but I had the kids teaching me why, and I'm like going, okay, so what do I do now? And they're, they're happy to be my teachers and yeah, they're already, they've, they're, they're already, you know, if I have a problem with my phone, I'll give it to my daughter and say, Hey, yeah. What, what? How do you do this? You know, Not you know, your children. I'm sure are the same. Where they just, say, Dad, you do this, right? Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. You know, well, my eldest is only six, but even now, I'm looking at it and going, Oh wow, she's she knows too much already. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. What do you may I ask? What you do at the college? What's um your your teacher? I've got a I've got a fitness company, and then. On the side, I also work for the local culture. I work with, um, my background is working with kind of disengaged children. So people who maybe had poor prior educational experiences. So I work with 14 to 16 year olds at the moment who don't necessarily oh, engage with educate like a, a mainstream education. They come over to the mm-hmm. college and we, we do some different things around the, their education. So we'll do a lot of life skills stuff. Oh, fantastic. That's good. So I teach a lot of PE and do some cookery. That's good. Well, that- I enjoy it. That's awesome. Nice, Glad just nice to that. see the change and, and hopefully give them a better experience than what the babies had and just try to get them onto that next next step when they do finally leave school. That's that's amazing. And, you know, that's a, a, the same thing I'm doing with martial arts. You know, um, yeah. what I'm trying to do is, uh, you know, impart tools for people to allow them to empower themselves. You know, the tools are yeah. there. And it's not always about this, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's about this, yeah. sometimes it's about this, 
you know? So it's, it's, it just depends on, it can be being more aware, being so, more confident, you know, being more respectful to yourself and to others um, and learning how to maybe deescalate the situation before it gets really yeah, bad. Yeah. Learning how to maybe not be somewhere where it's like, eh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be going to the pub, you know, yeah. where there are a lot of inebriated young people and it becomes very territorial. You know, I, yeah, of course. You know, no, I, it's, I it's, for that now, you know, no, but, I, yeah, um, I, agree. I agree. But also, you know, being able to take a child, you know, like myself, when I was very uh, awkward and shy, somebody who lacks confidence and maybe being able to over time, nurturing them to where they believe in themselves and they can, really really do amazing things um, yeah. beyond the martial arts you know in school and in their life and hopefully later on is in their adult lives yeah and, and so that kind of ties back into where, where you were going with with your story when you were younger and your sensei had changed and the brother took over full time in the classes yes. was, was he was he the sensei who brought the confidence out of the shy you and and really helped mold the the person you were becoming Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, you know, he, with him, there was never any pretension. There was never, it was like, look, what you saw was what you got. And he'd give you the shirt off his back, you know? Um, and, and I, you know, sometimes there were months where I knew that there weren't very many students in, in class and he was paying for the rent out of his own pocket. Yeah, of course. But, you know, but I'll tell you, there was another gentleman who taught there also. His name was David Liu, and he taught me um, about boxing and kickboxing. That was my first okay. introduction. So he turned me on to jab, cross, hook, uppercut, you know, yeah. uh, kick to the thigh, you know, things like that. And my first experience with that, you know, because I, I had um, only learned, you know, the straight punching, you know. Yeah. So he was working with me one day and he holds, he holds up the focus mitt like this. And he says, okay, I want you to do this. I want you to do this, you know? And I went, okay. And this is, it, it looked like this. <laughs> yeah. oh, 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 <laughs> and the first thing I thought was that is the stupidest punch I've ever done that, I mean, <laughs> you know, and he says, no, 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 no. Look, you got to, Use your hip. You got to use your yeah, shoulders. You know, tuck your chin into your shoulder. And I'm like, you know, it just seems so foreign to me. And then once I started to get the hang of it, and I realized how much power could be generated from a hook, um, I really fell in love with it. And then, you know, I started watching boxing, and you know, Muhammad Ali is another one of my heroes. But um, I realized that many a boxer has made their career off their hook punch. You know, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, so I re that's where I really grew to, that was the beginnings of my, um, my cross training as it were, where I was like, wow, you know, movement is movement and it doesn't yeah. have to necessarily be just this. It could be this and this, not this yeah. or this. So yeah, yeah. hundred percent. Yes, sir. So you can learn something um, from every martial art, I believe. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's more similarities than differences. And, you know, the differences make it interesting. It's like, oh, okay, you know what? You do it this way in this style, you do it this way in this style. Who says you can't do both, you know? Um, yeah. Or, you know, you could just say, hey, look, I do it this way. You would do it this way. You know, are you able to achieve the same results? Yes. Then we're on the same team. You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. definitely. I know that I've kind of seen a 
has talked to a few young people who have maybe watched more traditional martial arts. Mm-hmm. And because it's so traditional, they struggle to see how it would work. Mm-hmm. And it's because I think everything, a, a lot of the clubs now tend to be a lot more freestyle or the kickboxing or the MMA where they teach bits of everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not really just focus, but this for me personally, there's still a huge place for the traditional martial arts because at the end of the day, it's the foundation for all martial arts. It's where it began and it's how it's evolved into what it is now, which is something else again. And I'm sure it'll just keep evolving into something totally different from what from what I grew up with and what I know now. Well, um, you know, I, I continue to teach my traditional martial arts as a base. However, it has been... Um, it has been adapted, you know, and I, I, I teach the difference, you know, um, yeah. you know, in, in our traditional karate, there's, the, you know, the hand is chambered here and the hand yeah, is out course. here, you know, but then when you start to explore it a little bit more, it's like, well, maybe this is a pulling hand. It's called a hikite. So maybe this is pulling your opponent's arm so that you can remove it so you can hit them with the other hand. Yeah. So, you know, I, I am, um, there's, there's a gentleman named Ian Abernathy who is, um, also um, from the UK and uh, he's got, you know, his whole thing has been about practical application. So he takes traditional karate and he really looks at it and says, well, maybe it's not this, maybe it's this. And suddenly it kind of makes sense. So, so for example, if you're doing something like a traditional outside block, maybe that could be an uppercut, you know, instead of, um, so, um, yeah, Ian Abernethy, is a, I'm a big fan of his, and uh, he's just got a very jolly way of presenting material, and you're just going, man, I really do like this guy and yeah, the way yeah. he explains it. So um, I'm hoping – well, another reason to, to, for me to make it out there is so that, you know, perhaps you know, I can meet him too. Um, yeah, yeah that would be really cool. <laughs> that would be really, really good. So – Let's that one, you know, we're totally digressing, which is amazing because we're not really digressing. We're just talking about martial arts, and I absolutely love it. Let's yes. get back. To you, let's get back. To you being a kid, and now you've been so you've you're doing your traditional, and now okay. you've been introduced into boxing as well, and and yes, kickboxing and low kicks. Mm-hmm. Were you competing at this time as well? Was the competitions out there for you to do, or was that not something that was introduced yet? Was it very much you still training, learning the basics, and then it evolved or? or was competition just something that never became a part of your journey? Well, a couple of years into my training, I think I was something like a green belt intermediate. And that's where I started getting, uh, I started hearing about tournaments and um, my instructor kind of said, you know, you ought to try it. It'd be good for you. Um, I think it kind of, you know, and I competed primarily in kata competition, you know, the the formal exercises, the pre pre choreographed things. And, um, I remember the first time I went to a tournament, I think I was 11 years old, 12 years old. And I did this kata and I, I tried to do this move and I used to be, I'm supposed to jump up and like land on my hands and feet like a cat. And then as soon as I landed, my, my hand went and I ended up looking like a little uh, bug on the, on my back. I was like, (laughs) and I was like, Oh, you know, and I was like, well, maybe they didn't notice, but yeah, they noticed. And I didn't play. So, no, um, I, you know, I went to like four more tournaments and it's like, you know, lose, 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 yeah. lose. And then I finally did that one tournament and I came in third. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and then once you just, you know, you, you reach that and you kind of break through that barrier, my mind went, oh, maybe you can do this. Yeah, and that's, 
gave me the incentive to practice more. And magically, when I practiced more, I got better. When I got better, I started to like it more. When I started to like it more, I practiced more. When I practiced more, I got better. And when I went to the next tournament, I did better. So interesting how that works. So, um, and then I I competed for a few years. Um, That's actually how I met Daryl Vidal. He and I were on the tournament circuit in Southern California for a while. And I used to run into Daryl. And I, I admired him even back then. And back then, you know, he would be doing his forms and he'd be able to hold his leg out and hold it, you know, five, four, three, two, one. And I just remember we were always friendly, but I just remember, man, I hope I don't have to compete against Daryl today. <laughs> I know that he's going to probably take first, you know. Um, And he is an exceptional martial artist and exceptional guy. Speaking of Daryl Vidal, he is going to be in the next episode of 52 Masters, which is my show about martial arts, my martial arts journey. Uh, It's currently on Amazon Prime and on YouTube. And uh, we're going to, we train together. Uh, We had a great interview about martial arts and you're going to get to see things Daryl has never talked about and never done before on camera. So uh, if you're a Karate Kid fan or if you're a fan of Daryl, uh, look for it in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it usually premieres on YouTube, so it's like free to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on my YouTube channel. And then um, we will uh, eventually submit it to Amazon, and it will be on Amazon's platform as well. But Amazing. Usually- well, I'll make sure I put the links on, on the end of the show as well, and we'll, we'll put them in the notes, and we'll put them on social media. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, that's amazing. And I've, I've spoke to Daryl Vidal. He's, he's a, just a... A great guy to speak to as well. Very like yourself, very laid back, very knowledgeable when it comes to martial arts, very open about his journey. And it's really interesting that you're talking about the the, the circuits that you met on the tournament scene because he said that was where he was recruited for the Karate Kid. You know, the director of Rocky Four was recruiting and seeing Daryl and and wanting him for the Karate Kid. And it's amazing that he was in Karate Kid 1 and then all of a sudden you were in Karate Kid 3. Well, and, you know, he and I have remained friends. We, you know, we lost touch for a lot of years, but then through uh, the magic of Facebook and social media, media. we connected again. And he's just an amazing guy as well. And his wife is wonderful also, you know, she's just, and, you know, Daryl and and she, they're brand new grandparents. They just, they have a brand new, a brand new grandchild who was uh, born to their daughter. And, um, he is, uh, I think his name is Mason, you know, and he's just like okay. two weeks old, I think, you know? Oh, so nice. yeah, he's, he's got a, another chapter of his uh, journey is just starting now. Yeah, definitely. He's got the next Karate Kid to, to now. Maybe. Train Karate Kid 23, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe he's yeah, Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai season 52. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So how did your career evolved so we're talking about martial arts but we've obviously touched on the fact that you were then you know cast for the karate kid three okay how did that come about was acting something that you had actively pursued when you were younger alongside martial arts you know what um i didn't necessarily pursue it but you know here's the thing um when i discovered bruce lee and um i i saw uh, you know a couple of bruce lee movies i was introduced to that you know, late, late, later, like when I was a brown belt, 12 or 13 years old, but I was just like, you know, this dude, you know? So I, 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 like many other people, I lost my mind and went crazy and just, you know, but that was one of the reasons why I stuck with martial arts. 
But also, you know, in terms of the acting, I was very influenced by a little independent film that came out in 1977 called uh, Star Wars. <laughs> and <laughs> Just a little I'm, one, yeah. I'm only half joking because it really was an ind- kind of an independent film and barely got made. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think anybody expected it to be what it became. But yeah. I was always fascinated by Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon. And, um, right. and then when Harrison Ford went on to do Indiana Jones and then Blade Runner, I was just like, wow, this is what I want to do. I want to make action films and maybe, you know, wow. combine them with martial arts. Um, so I took some acting classes. You know, I was in a high school play. I <clears throat> took some acting classes in college. And... Um, you know, again, I'm trying to overcome my shyness. Martial art helped, but you know, once I got into an acting class, you're forced to show emotion. You're forced to, yeah. um, you know, interact. You're forced to be in front of people. And I found a group of people that I, I, I grew to trust that are still my close friends today. You know, I call them my brothers. They were in my acting class. Um, wow. So um, I started to think, well, you know, how do you do this as a profession? So I went to the bookstore and I found some books and, oh, you got to get your picture taken. That's called a headshot. And you got to go, you got to go mail it out to people who might put you in movies. Um, So I was trying that, you know, that that was before digital. So, you know, it was a process, you know, you had to go put it in the envelope, you put the stamp on it, you take it to the post office. Right. Um, But I was asleep one morning, you know, and, and I get a call from my buddy and, um, he and I are still good friends. And he says, Hey man, we got to go to Burbank, California. I'm like, that's an like hour away. Why? And he says, there's an open casting call for karate kid three. And they're looking for the villain. They need somebody to fight Ralph Macchio and you got to have martial arts experience. So he comes, pick me up. We go, and we're down there. And, um, we get there and there's like 1500 people in line. You know, it's just like a long, and it's like, Oh my God. So, <laughs> I think he says, look, I'll park, I'll drop you off, get in line. So we get in line. And um, pretty soon the director, John Alvelson, Rocky, Karate Kid, right? Yeah. Um, he comes out and he's got his camera <laughs> and he starts going down the line. Um, and he says, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. And I, I just knew that he was going to just kind of pass me up. And I was like, well, you know, we tried. Um, he stopped. You know, I had short hair back then, you know, and I'm 22 22 years old. And so stops and he starts coming towards us. And my buddy's like, he's coming, he's coming. coming." (laughs) And I'm kind of like, 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 and and he goes, Hey, what's your name? And um, at that time I was Christopher Paul Ford. I legally changed it to William Christopher Ford. It's um, my, my father's name was William. So I wanted to change my name to his. So I told him I'm 22 years old. He goes, well, you look a little young. You look a little old to be just out of high school. You might be too old for what we're looking for. And I was like, oh, okay. Do you mind if I give him a headshot and resume? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. So he took it. I thanked him. And I thought that was it. So um, a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call from the casting director. And her name is Carol Jones. And she says, we are looking for somebody. Uh, we, we have your picture and resume. We still haven't cast the role yet. So okay. I went down to audition for her for the role of Mike Barnes, which eventually Sean Kanan played. Yes. And I had my script and I was ready. And I gave the worst audition in the history of auditions because I didn't know anything about acting. <laughs> I was terrible. I was terrible. You know, like totally overacting and, you know, just yeah. not hitting the right beats. 
And the casting director was such so so polite. She said, "Thank you very much." I really, she said that was very good. I wish she said that was awful. You know, <laughs> she was very polite. Yeah, yeah. So she gave me this glimmer of hope, like, "Oh, oh, said, okay." So I, could I don't potentially be Mike Bond. Yeah, you know, I, you know, at least she didn't crush my dreams, right? Yeah. And then of you know, you know, I'm following this production in the trade papers, and it's like, oh man, they're going to start tomorrow. You know, so the day before, I go out for a jog. I come back, and there's an there's a message on my machine, and it says, "Hi, this is Carol Jones again. Um, can you call me back?" So I call her back. She says, "Listen, um, we've cast the role of Mike Barnes, but you know, we've rewritten some things, and he needs some henchmen. Would you be willing to come down again to the studio and meet the director?" So wow. I'm like, "Yes, I'm happy to do that." I get down there, and I meet with Pat Johnson, who was the coordinator. He played the referee. Yeah, of course. Um, Fumio Demura is there, the stunt of Mr. Miyagi, and um, he's like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" Because you know, I had met him in tournaments, and he'd been yeah, yeah, of course. He, 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 you know, he's from Japan. My mom's from Japan, and I said, "Oh, Sensei, I'm I'm here to uh, maybe get you know audition for one of the henchmen." So he's just he's kind of giving me pointers, and then finally John Avelson walks in, and um, he says, um, "Okay, um, how old are you?" And I said, "I'm 22, sir." And he goes. Oh, you look like you could pass for uh, you being in high school, and I'm like, well, that's not what you said a few months ago. <laughs> they were really under the gun to get this thing made, so I, yeah, I think yeah. they were like, just hire him. And then, you know, um, Sensei Demura, you know, he goes up to John and he says, "Hey, John, this kid, okay?" And he looks at me and he goes, "Well, if it's good enough for Sensei, it's good enough for me." So, you know, Sensei Demura, wow. I'm still very grateful for him because you know, yeah, you know. Yeah. And that was when it was just really like, okay, you know what? Get them into the union, sign them up. And then we did rehearsals from then on out, you know? And it was just really surreal. And, you know, I mean, you know, you talked to Sean. He wasn't the first pick for Mike Barnes. No, he wasn't, no. He should have been. But they cast this kid named Daryl. Not Daryl the dog. It was this blonde surfer kid. And he, I met him and he was was a nice kid. He was on on set for a week. And um, I just think that he just... You know, he couldn't summon up the the ferocity and the yeah. intimidating quality. He was just this really nice Southern California blonde surfer kid. I think yeah, Tom yeah. thought looked the part, but he just couldn't he couldn't bring that. You know, was he almost so, um, almost a poor man's Johnny Lawrence with the blonde hair and there you go? Yeah, I mean, he was he was this. He just he just wasn't he didn't he didn't have the acting and and you know probably yeah. he just was miscast you know he just didn't yeah, you know exactly. there's some times where people are just like okay that's perfect casting you know and you yeah. know they let him go you know they paid him off we never heard from him again but nice. then um, I met Sean and you know it soon became apparent that this kid Sean uh, Mike Bond who played Mike Bond Sean yeah, Keenan was the perfect person to play Mike Barnes. And I still believe that Sean and I are still buddies to this day. And you were just training the other day with Sean. Is that right? I seen, I I seen the kick that Sean was doing on the pads with you. Yeah. He called me up and he said, you know, there was a, a magazine on the East coast called action martial arts. Um, that's owned by Mr. Torres. And he, um, he had contacted Sean through Daryl and Daryl mentioned me and Sean mentioned me. And Mr. Torres is like, well, good. If you can get him down there and we can get some pictures of him too, we'll do a, you know an article on me as well, which Amazing. is very, I'm very grateful for. So yeah, Sean and I were kicking the pads around and everything like that. And Sean is not as uh, as studied as I am or as Daryl yeah. is, but 
he sure gives it his best. And, you know, he's, he still packs a good wallop. You know, he was doing the uh, outside crescent kicks on my, on my pad and it was, it was still smacking it pretty hard. So I'm going, dude. Still got, still, got a, still got it. Still got He's he's just prepared for Cobra Kai season three or four, isn't he? That's what he's doing. <laughs> well, you know, um, I can neither. Uh, no, he said the same nor, thing. I can neither confirm nor deny any details <laughs> of the operation uh, without yeah, of permission course. of the director, as they say in Mission yeah. Impossible. But you know, uh, for for Snake, uh, for Dennis, and for uh, Mike Barnes to return, I think would be very exciting for the fans. You know. I think it would be absolutely fantastic, yeah, just to have the, the trilogy, having someone from each film yes. and having a group, it would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, I would love that. What was the experience of being on Karate Kid 3 as your first role? Well, uh, as I said earlier, surreal, yeah. uh, wonderful. Um, I was like in a, just a magical place, you know? Yeah. It's like Ralph Macchio. Wow. And I yeah. are talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was, he was, he was huge in the eighties as well. Wasn't he? He'd already, you know, yeah. from the first two karate killer films, my cousin Vinny and, and, and the things that he had done, he, he was a huge star of the eighties. And what was it like working alongside those guys? You know, I, I know you said it was surreal, but were the, you know, was he accessible? Did, you know, yeah. just what was the experience like overall apart from being surreal? You know, Mr. Macho is a very talented individual. He's multi-talented, um, more so than I think um, people knew before. I think it's it's now people are starting to realize it's like, wow, this guy really is, a, you know, quite a talent. Um, now he wasn't, he's not a trained martial artist, you know, but um, he gave it his best, you know. And the thing is, is that he came from a tap dance background also. So that kind of helped him with the choreography. Um, personally, I never saw him be rude to anybody. He was always very cordial. Um, he was really responsible for me getting that line. They say in the movie, you take off. So we go into the bonsai shop. We're there, you know, I'm chopping up shoji screens yeah. and he and I have a confrontation and I, I throw the punch. He throws, he throws the knee, throws me into the shelving. And before we had done that, um, we're working through it. And uh, Mr. Machio says to Mr. Alvelson, the director, he goes, John, can you please give him a, a line? Because I need something to go off. And so, you know, Daniel's line is, well, why don't you guys just take off? And so John says, okay, well then Dennis, you say you take off and then you push him. And that's how that line came about. So that's what made it into the film. And then of course, you know, he ragdolls me and he throws me into the, uh, the shelving. So um, I was very, I, and I still am very grateful to him for, um, for saying that and doing that because otherwise, you know, I would have been present throughout the film, but just no lines. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. I, it just, it's just really cool when you have at least one line, you know, one just line, kind of, yeah, it was, you know? was that, was that a bit of a catalyst for you then to say, well, you know, there's now I've done one, one movie, I've done one real acting job, you know, that's my acting career start. Did that push you on then to still continue your martial arts, but then really pursue the acting career? You know, I wanted to pursue the career. Um, there was, you know, they say that this profession is a lot of feast and famine. And yeah. there wasn't I much feast imagine. for me. There was a lot of famine. Oh, really? I had a hard time getting arrested after that for some reason. Um, okay. You know, I'm, I'm trying to find agents. I just, I couldn't even get an audition. And it was a, it was a rough go for me. So what it forced me to do was like, you know, I was taking odd jobs here and there. Just no matter, you know, I, I think. I've worked over 40 different jobs in my lifetime working various things. And it gave me wonderful experience, 
But I went through a lot of years where um, I kind of resented that Karate Kid 3 was the, the pinnacle of my career. I felt like a one-hit wonder, you know, like, oh, and, yeah. and I didn't even get to do all my martial arts in it, right? So yeah. people would be like, hey, uh, you know, what have what what you been doing? And I'd be like, um, yeah, I'm working this driving job right now. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm, I'm working at the toy store right now, just kind of, you know, and I was kind of embarrassed about it, you know, and I realized that years later, I had nothing to be embarrassed about. You know, I was doing yeah. what I needed to do to provide for my family and to provide for myself. Of course. And I had not caught up to my future yet, you know. Um, and somebody yeah. once told me, she said, listen, you haven't gotten to your really good years yet. You know, you hit 40, things are going to start to get better. And sure enough, it did. Uh, when I hit 50, it got even better because at that point, you start to become older and you really don't care. And when you don't <laughs> care anymore, that's when people start showing up. And I'm like, where were you guys 30 years ago? And they're like, yeah. well, that's when you cared. Now that you don't yeah. care, we want you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. So you're doing all these other jobs. Was martial arts still one of the mainstays in your life, something that you were still doing? And when did teaching become something that you moved into? You know, I, I you know, I, I was... I was trying to run away from martial arts for a little bit just because I, I didn't want to, because I, I let the allure of Hollywood, which is sort of, it's, it, it can be very superficial, you know? And I, I was like, I don't want to be cast as a martial artist. I want to be, and I want to be a thespian. I want to be an actor. I want to be taken seriously. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, you know, it is such a part of you and something that, you know, I, so it just kept coming back. It's like, no, no, this is what you need to look at. And then one day I went, why am I running away from this? I spent so many years. And so many of the jobs that I did were teaching jobs, teaching for kids. And that's when I started teaching at the parks and rec for very little money. But, hey, I'm teaching and I'm getting a little bit of money. And that eventually led to me opening up a small school. It closed in 2008 because the economy, was the world yeah. economy, had a recession at the time. Yeah. And then in 2011, uh, I reopened again uh, at, a, at a better location, which amazing. is where I am now for almost 10 wow. years. So absolutely amazing. I really love it. I don't ever want to leave it for films, but I would certainly put it on pause, do a film and come back and just to ask my students, Hey, wait for me. I'm coming back. You know, I'm not going to sure after 10 years now and, and the amount of years you've been within the sport and within martial arts, you probably have people like you trust could run those sessions for you in your absence. If you, you know, if you are off filming and are in a movie somewhere rather than pausing the whole thing. I do have a couple of people. And one of them is the gentleman that called me for that open call who drove me down to uh, wow. the open call. His name is Rich. Ah, and right. he, he became a black belt under me and he's wonderful with the children. So um, he's one of the people that I can rely on, but you know, what I love about teaching kids is that they remind you of what's important and yeah. they come at you with a purity and a pure love and, you know, the, a pure expression. And it's a nice reminder to say, hey, this isn't the important work that you're doing because you're, you're helping shape them for the future. You yeah. know, much Definitely. more important. Entertainment is important, as we have seen. Entertainment yeah, is important. In the, especially that we've seen this in this COVID environment. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, no disrespect to entertainers, but 
this is really important too. If not, uh, you know, maybe as important, you know, because yeah. I'm shaping kids, I'm nurturing yeah, them, I'm teaching them to become strong adults. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. hoping to become good leaders, you know, responsible leaders who will do the best for the, for the entire world. You know, and not just no. me, me, me all the time. Yeah, you know no, I mean? yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Have you found that the release of Cobra Kai over the last couple of years has kind of brought you back to the forefront? And then it's it's almost had people, you know, I approached you on the back of Karate Kid kind of series that I'm doing for my podcast, but also because of my love for martial I'm, arts. And that's where my journey started. But has that now brought started bringing people to your dojo, to your school? Oh, uh, you know, definitely Cobra Kai has re-sparked, reignited interest in the original movies. And people have discovered me and reached out to me. And I've been tickled and surprised, like, wow, do you remember who I was? And they're like, yeah, you played Dennis and you were the strong and silent dude and you broke the shoji screens. And I'm like, how do you know this? And, and, and Come to find out that, you know, the producers and writers of Cobra Kai, they know every character in every movie. They're, they're, yeah. they're super fans. Um, but people have approached me, you know, and it's definitely given me a boost where I feel like, oh, this is really nice that people, thank you for keeping my character Dennis alive and thank you for remembering me. And that's why it's such an honor and pleasure to be on with you because thank you for remembering me. You know, what, what a... What a consideration, you know. Listen, I've been on the I was on the bench for many, many years, not even on the bench being able to play the game, but I was up in the the, the cheap nosebleed bleeder seats that I had to pay for to watch the game. And then at some point I went, you know, I just should go over to the park and play a game of my own with my buddies instead yeah. of you know, I'm trying so hard to play with the big boys and they don't want to play with me. And it's like, yeah. well, okay, we'll play play. I don't want to say play with myself, but play by yeah. myself over there. Um so it's it's wonderful and and you know um and, and now you know things come full circle you know and yeah, it's like wouldn't it be cool if thirty years thirty something years after I got my big break that I get my big break thirty years later yeah 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 twenty and as you said years. now that you don't <laughs> now that you don't care maybe it will come back around I don't care you know it's like you don't care like when you're single right you're single there's nobody you know yeah, yeah. you get married you have a family all of a sudden you're like why are you ringing me i, I don't need to hear from you you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I'm joking yeah. right? but no no uh, yeah uh, yeah do yeah when when you don't need a bus 10 come along but when you need it it takes forever to come along exactly. yeah i like exactly. it i like but you know so part where, of it also is just finding your center just knowing yeah. who you are and standing in your own power yeah. that is you know what, man, you know, you, it makes you bulletproof, you know, just, I know who I am, you know, I yeah. stand in my own power, you know, I know the people who really love and support me, you know, they're, they're my family, they're my students, they're my true friends. Everything yeah. else is great. It's a blessing, but they're not necessarily your friends, you know? No. Yeah, no. I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> but yeah. I'm having some, like, I'm having so much fun. I'm really enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, I am as well. It's good. Tremendously. No, it's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, where because you know you, you've already mentioned about fifty-two masters and the fact that that's on YouTube and then it goes to Amazon Prime. Yes. You know that that's a big that's a big deal. You know people pay for an Amazon Prime subscription. So how did that particular series come along? Um, 
you know, sometimes I'm just fascinated with numbers. Like years ago, uh, in 2014 or so, I wanted to do a fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Hospital, which, you know, is a f- they 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 treat children with cancer, and the parents have to pay nothing, you know, for it. You know, not for travel, not for treatment, not for housing, nothing. So I said I want to get involved with St. Children's St. Jude Children's Hospital and do something. So I did an event at my school called 40 Rounds for 40 Years, and I would fight 40 one-minute rounds. It wasn't full contact, you know, but it was like one minute rounds. It turned out to be 80 rounds because all my little, all the little kids wanted to get in on beating the hell out of me. <laughs> I was pretty wasted at the end, but Daryl Vidal was my very last match. And uh, that match oh, wow. is on YouTube somewhere. Um, we raised over $15,000 US for the, for the hospital. Wow. And every year I try to do something for charity. Now, 52 Masters came about not for charity, but because I was like 51 years old. And I said, you know, what can I do for 52? What can I do something? Something that benefits the martial arts community in some way. And I thought, well, I'm going to turn 52. There's 52 weeks in a year. There's 52 cards in a deck. 52 is kind of a catchy number. Let's do a show called 52 Masters. And that is where I go train with somebody, 52 different martial arts masters or experts. And then we have a conversation afterwards. The conversation is just like what we're having, you and I are having, Andy, yeah, yeah. you know, where it's, it's just like, hey, man, we're just, we're just having a conversation. We talk about martial arts yeah. or whatever. And um, the first one I did was with a capoeira master, that Brazilian African martial art. And that was uh, amazing. A, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, man, what a workout. But that's kind of how it started. And they started off as 15-minute episodes, and they got longer and longer. They were, they're running about 40 minutes now. And, um, you know, my crew is a camera guy who also does the sound, and then my director who also edits. So it's basically us three and then whatever talent that I'm working with. So it's usually a crew of four. Yeah, Some yeah. people think that they look at the show and, you know, the guys that I work with are just amazing. They've they're self-taught filmmakers, and you look at their stuff. And you're just going, this looks like it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. It only costs like a couple hundred dollars, you know. But it comes out of my pocket, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I'm yeah. paying for this stuff out of my pocket, but it's just like I'm just really amazed at the results. And it started to strike a chord, you know. It started to develop a following of people who 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 like. The traditional martial arts or you know even the more progressive martial arts but i always ask what the philosophy is you know what what, do you, what, do yeah. you, what lesson do you want to leave behind for your students is something i always ask my um the, the the guests on my show and um eventually we submitted it for amazon is like hey take a look at this and see if there's something you'd want and they said yeah we'll take that so we submitted 10 of our episodes we have about 25 available for free on youtube but there are wow. 10 on amazon and the ten, uh, the last two we did were with. Um, it's a two-parter with Benny the Jet Orchides, who, of course, is, wow. You know, he's you know the name. So yeah, yeah. I I strongly recommend you watch that episode because he dropped some real pearls of wisdom in regards to life and martial arts and training. Um, I can imagine. And I just love being a student. I just <laughs> love going in there and learning about the person that I'm, I'm working with. Um, and what I found is a, you know, a common thread that, you know, every one of these masters that I work with is, has, has got, you know, you get to see a real human side. So I've gotten the chance to really see them laugh and smile and yeah. maybe even cry a little bit because, you know, they, they they get emotional talking about, you know, their passion. And yeah. 
you know, the, the common lesson for a lot of it is just, hey, man, just do your best. Keep showing up. Keep showing up to class and don't give up. And do what you love to do on whatever level you can do it. So, you know, maybe you can't get out there and be a professional fighter. Maybe you can't get out there and do a full workout. Maybe you can get up and just breathe, throw a few punches, you know, just, you know, whatever, even if it's for 10 minutes, but it's like, but you did it, you know, good for you. Yeah, 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 definitely. And anything in life, just try to keep showing up. You know, we're all in this amazing COVID thing that is you know really unprecedented, which is, you know, I mean, and some of the people out there just have it so hard, you know, just yeah, find do. a way to keep going, you know, reach out to people. Um, we're going to get through this, but we're not going to get through it if we don't work together. Um, and if we all give up yeah. and we can't just give yeah, up yeah, on ourselves, we, we can't give up on each other, you know? So um, that's the thing, man, let's work together so that we can, uh, you know, we can all be stronger together. Uh, and that's something that I've learned from martial arts. No, that yeah, that's and, and there is it's such a strong community. I was you know, I was podcasting with a friend for his podcast the other day. We're going to do a bit of a hybrid co- podcast, oh, cool. and he lives on the other side of the country. But we were just reflecting on just our martial arts journeys and mm. how long we've actually known each other, and then talking about other competitors, talking about our journey from where it began to where it is now. And it was just you forget how many people you meet through martial arts and the friendships that you build and just the community that's out there, especially now with social media, so accessible, especially during COVID when people are on lockdown or they're in other parts of the world. It's given people a little bit more time, I feel, to reflect and maybe rebuild connections that they maybe just had through busy life, yeah. had lost a little bit. So it, it has been, although it's a very, very hard time and there is people going through some tremendous you know tremendous times and it's very difficult i think there's also a lot of good come from from covid mm-hmm. that's that's I, my personal feel. i agree because i think it is forced us to uh adapt and you know it's like hey okay let's figure out a way to make it work um yeah it's allowed me to reflect on certain things and be open to newer ways. You know, it used to be like, well, you really can't learn from video. And now it's like, well, you have to learn from video. And yes, indeed you can. It's not like doing it in person, but you can do the best you can. And it can get pretty good. Even if, you know, if the other person is willing and you're willing, you can get it done, you know? Yeah, definitely. I suppose even, I know you don't have the hands-on approach, but you can, as you said earlier, you can record videos, you can do live sessions, you can almost break things down a little bit more because they've got a little bit more time in the house and you can maybe break down a technique, you know, and say, well, actually, we're doing this technique, but I want your foot to be turned this way because it's going to open up the hips or I want your hand to turn over this way because you're going to hit with a bigger surface area. You know, all those little things that you maybe, not that you you would not teach them in your class, you maybe just take for granted that people are watching and and know exactly what you're talking about. So I agree. I think it's been a fantastic, a fantastic learning curve anyway. You know, and if you want to embrace it. I, I agree. And when you put it on speaker mode and it's just me on the screen, it's almost like you're getting a private lesson because yeah. all they see is me, right? So Yeah, of course. It's right, yeah. So yeah, there's definitely advantages. I've I I 
did something where another group came in from a boys and girls club that was off of, of a different link using a different computer. And I just brought them into my normal class. And that would have never been possible in reality because they're just not, yeah, of course. you know, but all of a sudden it's like, I've got like 50 people and it's like this. Okay. This can work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? oh, yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. And what are the aspirations and the plans for the future now? What, you know, what once maybe once COVID settles down and things get back to some sort of new, new normal, what, um, what is the plan? I want to definitely, we're moving forward on finishing the 52 masters. We've got about halfway there. It's taking me a little bit longer than I anticipated. I was supposed to get it done in a year. That was hard just because of logistics. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes your camera guy is not available. Sometimes your talent cancels. Sometimes it's yeah. just, you know, there, there's there's no money to pay for a production. Um, yeah, of course. My goal is to get 52 masters done before 52 years passes. So uh, when I'm looking at you with a really long white beard, looking like Gandalf, I, <laughs> I finally finished it. We've only got to episode. <laughs> you know, it's like no, uh, we, we we can get this Love done that. in six months. Six months is my yeah. goal. And then, okay, great. It's done, and then we can move on to another project. But um, you know, will it be international? International fifty-two masters after that? You know what? Uh, I I would love to be able to travel Europe, and you know, you know, what if we did a UK version where you know all we did was travel to the UK or or Europe, and you know, interview fifty-two um, martial arts That'd experts from your region. You know, I know that it would go over very well. And um, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it you know really would. maybe we'll get some netflix money or something like that you know where somebody will, will actually sponsor me and you know maybe we can do it do it a little bit bigger you know right now it's just pretty yeah. pretty much me but um you know the amazon thing has been a definite upgrade for me um oh yeah you know magazines are starting to talk to me a little bit now you know uh, i i, I want to do some cross promotion where i can help promote the magazine they can help promote the show and then the show is promoting other martial artists as well. So it's not about me. It's about us, you know. It's the community again, isn't it? And yeah. just sh sharing the love, I suppose, and, and highlighting all the amazing martial arts and the different, you know, senses and instructors that are out there teaching all over the world. For sure. For sure. And, um, no, you know, we're also producing some things that are more of a fictional narrative uh, versus a documentary thing. So, you know, you, you will start to see some of the things that it's like, oh, that's interesting. You know, so it's, uh, that is another aspect that we're also looking into, into producing as well. So, um, oh, it sounds amazing. You know, continuing with teaching, uh, creating an online course that people can, you know, from all across the world can say, well, I want to train with you. Great. You know what you can yeah. do? Uh, in addition to Zoom classes, we have this curriculum that is linear that you can go and as soon as you finish, you finish uh, first lesson, you go on to the second lesson, so on and so forth. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's not like, well, I, you know, I want to earn my black belt, and well, you know, you can do a video. It's it doesn't work that way. The video is supposed yeah, to be a course. supplement. You know, but some people are doing a fantastic job with creating these online curriculums. You know. Yeah. There's a. I agree. Another friend of mine named Matthew Chapman who is also um, from the UK and he's doing some amazing work with the uh, online um, academies and he's helping martial artists like me actually learn how to do that. So he's, yeah. uh, he's doing very well and he's a really, he's a great guy too. Yeah. I, I know a guy down in Liverpool who 
trains with the gentleman I mentioned earlier, um, Ian Hollett, and he's got a, a program called Insight, mm. and that is, you know, he's he's travels all he's travelled all over the world. Ian, he's a phenomenal athlete and mm. a phenomenal martial artist, and some of the stuff that he puts out via his train online training program is mm. is phenomenal. Mm. Absolutely, the training programs, the drills that he breaks down, yeah. Absolutely great. So there is some amazing stuff out there online at the moment as well from just some fabulous martial artists. Definitely, definitely. No, it's true. You know, I'm obviously conscious it's Saturday afternoon where you are. I am so grateful for your time today, William. It's been amazing to talk to you. We will make sure that we get everything about 52 Masters, all the YouTube, all the social media handles, we'll get them put into the notes. We'll make sure that everyone hears about them as well so they can go and follow you, give things a follow, check check out the documentaries and I just want to wish you all the best with 52 masters and everything moving forward. Thank you for coming on hobby for lifestyle. Well, thank you so much. And I, I, I this is a, a blast for me and um, anytime you want me to come back, it, it is my pleasure. Um, I wish you all the great success that your show deserves. You. And I, I look forward to meeting you in person and maybe some of your viewers as well. So, Oh yeah, that'll be absolutely fun. I think what we'll do is if you, we'll get you back when the 52 is completed. You're halfway <laughs> there now. Let's do that when the 52 are completed. That'll be amazing to get you back on and just find out how that journey's went. That would be amazing. And let's hope that travel restrictions, uh, you know, allow me to travel to your land and... Uh, and vice versa. Yeah, I would love to break bread with you and your family and just... As they say in Hawaii, we like to talk story and just, you know, um, have a good time. Yeah, that would be, yeah, that'll be absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. I really hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please do review, leave a rating, send us a message on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, visit our website. And until next time, stay safe.